0: Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you with us today. Let me go over a couple of things quickly before I dismiss our children for uh, our kids crew time. And and first and foremost, I just want to acknowledge the fact that this past week, uh, I think it was Friday, if, if my... if if all my calendar dates are right, was Colby's fourth anniversary on staff here at First Baptist Church. And so if you see Colby this morning, uh, I suppose he's probably tucked around the corner here getting ready for kids. But if you see him this morning, make sure that you thank him. And he and Sarah both for all they do, investing in our kids and our children's ministry as they've eclipsed that. And then the other thing that I wanna mention is it's spring break, which is a big deal, right? That means that we get a few days of uh, at least the kids get a few days off of school. Uh, some of them, not the USAO students, they, they have to plow right through all of it. But uh, it's spring break and, and we know that that means that uh, you guys are going to have a fun week and we are hoping that this spring break doesn't work quite like the last one. That goes for weeks and weeks and weeks. But all right, we're going to let our kids who are fourth grade and under make their way to the front. And they're going to head upstairs with our leaders for kids crew this morning as we continue in worship. While they're making their way down and they're heading upstairs, let me encourage the rest of you to turn your Bible Philippians chapter 2. That's going to be our text for this morning. If you are a guest, a newcomer worshiping with us this morning, you don't normally join us. On Sundays for worship, let me encourage you to fill out one of these guest registration cards. These are located throughout our sanctuary in the backs of the pews. You'll be able to just grab that, and then later in our service today, we're going to receive an offering. And although we've been receiving offerings all along, we haven't actually passed the plate in a year now. Quite literally, it was a year ago, right before all of this happened, and so uh, it does me some some good in my heart just to say. Later in the service today, we're going to pass the plate and you're going to have the chance to drop that in the plate as it comes by. One more thing, just a small incremental step, but little things, little by little, we're getting there, right? But also, if you've joined us online for worship this morning, let me encourage you to go to our website, fbcchickashay.org slash connect and you can fill out an online web form. is essentially the same as this card, and give us your information. We would love to connect with you, love to try to get you plugged in in the life of our church in various places. Maybe it's a place to serve, a place where you can study the Bible with a group of people. Maybe you're looking for ways to get your kids connected or even just sort of navigate next steps, like where do we go, what do we do, how do we, how do we move forward from here. We want to help. And so if you'll fill out that card or fill out that web form, whichever you choose to do, then send that our way and we will follow up with you, all right? Philippians chapter 2. You remember some years ago, uh, about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, there was a really popular movie called Inception. You remember this movie, Inception? And and, um, it's been years, quite literally, since the movie came out, since I have seen the movie. But I remember that the basic idea of the movie was that there was the the main character and and he was sort of a, a criminal of sorts, but his crimes the way that he that he operated was by going into people's dreams and planting ideas in their dreams that was called Inception. That was the whole idea of Inception. And so the premise of the movie is about this guy who's going to clear his name and clear his record by doing one more job to go into the the dreams of someone and convince them to do something. I, frankly, I don't even remember. It doesn't matter, really. But the whole idea is it's giving someone a thought. You ever know someone that's, that's good at this? Like there are certain people that just have a skill, and it's an art form almost, of convincing you to do something like they plant the idea with you and then they talk you into doing it and when you walk away from the conversation you feel like both that it was your idea and you're fired up for it you're excited about and you look back and you think later like wait a minute did I just get duped did I just get played in in all of this Uh, some people just have that natural charisma about them that they're good at they're good at at getting other people to do things i worked for a pastor some years ago the, the very first pastor that i served under in a in a full-time capacity and he was an artful leader he was a skilled leader he really was he was a godly man loved the lord great pastor great teacher and he had this uncanny ability to come into a room of people and sit down with them plant an idea, a seed of thought in the room, water it, feed it, watch it grow, and then by the time you walked out of the room, you had a room full of people who were convinced they had come up with something that was a really good idea, and they were going to run with it, and he was the one that made the whole thing happen. He was, he, was a, he, he was awesome at that. He was really good, and I've always wished that that was a skill that I could be better at, right, because not for the sake of, like, Trying to manipulate people. Well, you could see where that comes in really handy as a pastor, right? Trying to get people, plan a thought, plan an idea, encourage people, cheer, lead them on, get them uh, to, to do that sort of thing. It's interesting that I was thinking about that as I was studying for this text this, this morning. Because literally what the text says is that it's God who works in us both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. To will and to work are the way that it's translated in, in the ESV according to his good pleasure. So in other words, all the things that we ought to do, all the things that God desires for us to do, this text is going to tell us that God gives us the desire to do those things. And then through the power of his Holy Spirit, he fills us with the ability to accomplish those things. So he's giving us both the will to do it and he's supplying the means that we might actually do those things. And apart from God working in our lives, we would be... Uh, well, we would be hopeless, wouldn't we? We would be we'd be in a bad place. But because God has worked in our lives, because He's working in our lives, not only is He leading us to refine our desires and to want the things that we ought to want and to pursue the things that we wouldn't pursue if it were just up to us, but then he's supplying the power through his Holy Spirit to do those things as well. He's, he's working in our lives in so many ways, and I think we'll see that as we dig in and really work through this passage of Scripture this morning, that God is empowering us, and I want to, before we jump in and really dig into this, you'll notice the very first word in this passage that we're going to look at today is the word, Therefore, and oftentimes when we come to a word, therefore, I always tell you that we need to pause and ask ourselves the question, what is it therefore? Because it's a connecting word. It's connecting things. And in this case, it's connecting what we've studied the last two weeks. Go back to the very end of chapter one, where it said that we are to conduct ourselves in a manner of life worthy of the gospel. So we're to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. That's not something that we do because we are worthy, but rather because it's the work of God saving us from sin, redeeming us from our sin, who's empowering us through his Holy Spirit to live in, in, in the way that he's called us to. And then last week we saw that we're to follow the example that Jesus set, that we're to put others first and serve others the way that Jesus served us. And so the, the point in connecting all of this and tying this together is that we are to follow the Lord's leadership and his prompting in our hearts to go down that path that he's leading us, knowing that if we will follow him and if we will be obedient to him, He's going he's gonna to give us both the will and the ability to accomplish that work that he's calling us to. And what is that work? Of course, that work is to advance the gospel. That's the big picture work here, right? That, that we're to advance the gospel. We're to make much of Jesus, share his love, serve others, follow that example. And all of that we do by continuing to take those steps of obedience, all right? So that's catching us up. That's, that's, that's taking a couple of weeks' worth of sermons and, and giving a summary that's three minutes long. And, but But I wanted to do that this morning to get us up to speed with where we're going to be, because this morning's passage that we're going to study in so many ways is really the culmination of several weeks worth of study that we've been doing as we're working our way through. So let's read together Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 12, read through verse 18, where we read this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we're gonna we're gonna deal with that in a minute because that's the part of this passage that really gets the most attention, right? What does he mean by "work out your salvation"? It's not. I, I think you 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 might rightly guess that that's not telling us that we're to work to earn our salvation, but rather we're to work because of our salvation. So look, even in just this one verse, there's sort of a summary of sorts that is key to the rest of it. So he's saying. That as we have always obeyed in his, we have, I should say they have, the Philippians. As they have obeyed in his presence, now they're to work in his absence. So. Paul is writing to a church full of people that he loves. He says, listen, when I was with you, I saw you doing what was right. I saw you obey the Lord. I was there with you. I was present with you. And now that I'm not there with you, I'm telling you, keep doing the same thing. Keep walking after the Lord. Keep walking in obedience. Keep doing the things that, that he has called you to. That's what it means. That's what's going to mean for us to work out our salvation as we're going to see. Is that we keep walking in that faith that is ours because of Jesus. All right, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So we see here this this instruction, keep going, keep doing what, what I saw you do when I was with you, now that I'm no longer with you, now that I'm absent from you, keep doing that. Keep following the example of Christ. Keep living in a way that is worthy of the gospel, conducting yourselves in a manner of life worthy of the gospel so that you might work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he says. So let's talk about this, this this key phrase. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he says. What does it mean for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Well, first of all, when he says that we're to work out our salvation, we must understand that that does not mean that we are to work to earn our salvation. That That, in fact, would be a... That would be a contradiction not only of what the rest of the New Testament teaches, but even more specifically of what Paul himself teaches extensively in other passages and other things that he writes. Most explicitly, I think we see in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 in his letter to the Ephesians, where he says that you, you have been saved by grace through, through faith. It's not of works. It's not not by the things that you've done. He writes to the Colossians. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. Paul says again and again that it's because of God's goodness and his favor that we don't deserve that we can be saved. It's not something we earn, but it's a gift that's freely given, like he writes to the church in Rome, right? So again and again, we know Paul's not contradicting himself. He's just stating it in a way that particularly as it translates into our language— Reads a bit awkwardly for us. But what he means when he says, work out your salvation, is he saying, let me, let me just say it this way. I think it's perhaps most accurate for us to interpret this and say, he's saying to work out of your salvation. Now, that's not literally what it says. Okay, I'm adding that word of that's that's uh, let me be clear about that. But I think that's the right understanding of what he's saying here. Work out of your salvation. Work from a place of salvation. In other words, because of what God has done for you, because of God, what, what God has done in you, in your heart, now you have the power and the ability to work and do things that will bring honor and glory to God in a way that you never could on your own strength and your own power. Now you have the ability to to work according to his good pleasure as he describes it here, which just means in a way that is honoring to God. We have the ability to do that because it is God at work in us. God is the one who is supplying the power through his Holy Spirit for us to accomplish this. So work is an important word here. Notice how many times the word work is used in verses 12 and 13. Look at this. He says, right, we see that uh, he talked about what they did in his presence now they're to do more in his absence and he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling and it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure it's sort of a play on words that Paul is using here that you are to work out of what God has worked in you that's the point of what he's saying you are to work out of that position of of being saved by grace You are to work out of that position of having been transformed and redeemed through the blood of Christ. Not because of anything that you've done, but because God, who is rich in his mercy, poured that out on you when you trusted Jesus. And now because we've come to that place of faith... We can work out our salvation or we can, we can walk in a way of faith. And so that's what I'm going to call it this morning as we work through this text. I'm going I'm to talk about when, when faith is at work in our lives because I think that's what it means when we work out our salvation. It's, it's a demonstration of the fact that we are operating from a place of faith. That we have come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We've come to faith in Christ. And because we have come to faith in Christ, now we can work from a position of faith. Meaning that what we do is motivated by faith, it's informed by faith, and it's driven ultimately by the goal of advancing the faith. And so when, we, when, we, when faith is at work in our lives... These are the things that happen. We're going to see three key things in, in just a moment. But before we do that, let's deal with these words fear and trembling as well. Because it's important that we understand what he means by fear and trembling. Fear and trembling are, are words, it's a phrase, it's an idiom, which is like a, a manner of saying something, right? It's, a, it's a, a phrase that Paul uses. He writes in both of his letters to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, he uses these words Fear and trembling. You can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, he uses this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. So he writes often and he uses these words, fear and trembling. Again, it's a common idiom that that he's using. And what he means by this is that. We are, to, we are to do this with a proper respect for God's power and his authority. That's what he means. He doesn't literally mean that we are to cower in fear before God as though, as though somehow we think God is out to get us. That's not the kind of fear and trembling that he's talking about. But he is talking about a healthy and proper respect for the power of God that that causes us to that causes us to, uh, well, to respect who God is and what God can do. And there are lots of ways to illustrate this, but I'll, I'll use sort of a, a funny example uh, from my own life. When I was uh, about eight years old, I learned the hard way what a hot fence is, a hot wire fence, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I I was I remember it distinctly. I was at a friend's house, and there was this one wire, and it was. I said, what's that? He said, oh, that's a fence. And I thought, well, that's not like any fence I've ever seen before. And I reached out, and I grabbed that fence, and I learned pretty quickly what that was all about, right? And so for the rest of my life, I've had a healthy respect for those, whether they're on or not, right? Because it only takes once to teach you your lesson with something. There are certain things in life that we have a healthy respect for, that we might describe as fear and trembling, as it were. Now I don't cower in fear before something like that. That's not the point. But I have a healthy respect for the energy running through that 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 hot wire and what it can do. And because of that, it causes me to act in a way that that uh, well, that let's just say that that pays homage to or, or gives respect to what, what that can do, right? There's so many other ways that we could illustrate this, so many other ways that we could think of that we have respect for things because we've learned, oh, I, this, this, this could be dangerous if I don't, if I don't treat it properly. Well, hear me when I say this. The power of God goes far beyond anything else in this world that we might think of or imagine. And truly, the power of God is something that we ought to respect and have a a, a proper, a healthy fear of in as much as we know what the power of God can do. And when we understand the power of God for what it is, and when we have that healthy respect for what the power of God can do, then now we are able to utilize it Maybe even more theologically accurately, I might say, it is able to utilize us to accomplish God's, God's good pleasure, to use the words from verse 13. And that's the point in all of this. We are to work from a position of faith in order that God might demonstrate his power through us as we humble ourselves in obedience to him and allow him to work in us in a way that accomplishes his good pleasure. And there are three ways that we see in this text that, that we do that. Three things that, that we're going to look at. That When faith is at work in our lives, we see it in this way. So the first one is this. When faith is at work in our lives, we put God first. When faith is at work in our lives, we put God first. Now that may seem almost... Too simple of an idea, right? Well, of course you do. When you live by faith, of course you're going to put God first. And yet, let's be real for just a minute. How many of us, practically speaking, if we were to look at our lives, and somehow if there were like a a documentary camera crew that had followed you around, and we we go back and we watch back the, the, the video from this past week, let's say, what proof would there be? What evidence would there be in your life that God was first? like how are we going to see that fleshed out how are we going to see that lived out in your in an appreciable way in your life you could say well in my heart god's first and 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 i don't want to diminish the significance of that but if it's real in your heart it's going to show up in your life and and that's really what paul is pointing at here you did this when i was present with you i saw this when i was present now in my absence keep walking by faith, keep living and operating from that position of faith so that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, so that you're working from a position of faith in order that you might honor and glorify God. And to do that, we have to put God first. Putting God first means that we trust him for our salvation, right? And, and, and so let's make that abundantly clear. Putting God first means that we, we look to Jesus for our forgiveness, for forgiveness of sins, that we turn from, our, from ourselves. We quit trusting in our own power, our own ability, that we, that we look to him, and we confess him as Lord and Savior, and we surrender our lives to him. Many of us, I dare say most of us in the room this morning, would testify that we have taken that step. We have done that. If there's anyone here that hasn't, at the end of the service today, at the end of this message, I'm going to offer a time of invitation. And I I would, I would plead with you that you would surrender your life to Jesus. That you would trust him as Lord and Savior. But let me say that though we would testify to that truth, though many, if not most of us would say, I've done that. I have trusted Jesus. I wonder how many of us live every day of our lives like like. Jesus is first. Yes, I made him first on the day that I surrendered my life to him. Yes, I made him first on the day that I trusted him as my Savior and Lord. But did you make him first today? And was he first yesterday? And are you going to make him first tomorrow? See, it's not just something that, it's not a one-time decision. And then the, the switch is flipped. And, and it's it's about denying ourselves daily the way that Jesus states it in Luke chapter nine, verse 23, taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following after him. It's a daily process of surrender. that We put God first by living from a place of faith. And the word work here is the key. We work out of what God has worked in us. We, we are able to do this because it is God who is at work in us. And so let's just say that if, if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, then you are, you are helpless to accomplish ultimately the will of God because you don't have God working in you. You need to first surrender your life to him so that now you can, you can act according to his good pleasure. You can do the good things, the good works that you were created for. In Christ so it starts with faith and it starts by putting God first there's a connection here with what we studied all the way back in chapter 1 verse 6 in chapter 1 verse 6 we saw that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it right so it was God who began the good work in us when did God begin the good work in us when we surrendered to him in faith And now God is going to be faithful to complete that work if we will stay yielded to, surrendered to him in order that we might work from that position of faith. So when faith is at work in our lives, we put God first. Secondly, when faith is at work in our lives, we prioritize our mission, which is what verses 14 and 15 tell us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's a sermon just in that phrase, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know what's interesting about the word grumbling? If you study the word grumbling in the Greek language, the word grumbling is the word gungasmon, which sounds funny when you say it because the word itself actually is an onomatopoeia. Do you know what an onomatopoeia is? An onomatopoeia is a word that takes its that, that, that is meant to mimic the thing. So like buzz. We talk about bees and bees buzz, and you use that word, right? That's an onomatopoeia. Uh, think of all the other, the other ways that we, that we do this. That The word in Greek, and, and it's it means grumblings, but it's, it's like a low rumble, a low grumbling. So even if you were to, I'm going to do this in just a minute, using my, my best New Testament Greek. I'm just going to murmur the word, and you'll hear that when I do, it even sounds like someone is grumbling. So the word is gungosman. And if you, just, if you were to just grumble that word, like it's that onomatopoeia, it sounds like what it is. And, and so the point is that we're not to live in such a way that, that our hearts are, that we, that we grumble, or we're just angry all the time. We're to have joy in serving the Lord. When we operate from a place of faith, we ought to find joy. He uses the word rejoice, which is the instruction to live in joy, to find joy. He uses that twice in this text. And and where does the joy come? The joy comes in doing the work of God. The joy comes in the mission. The joy comes in fulfilling our purpose. Not with grumbling and disputing, but rather as people who are blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, he writes, in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights. So, we might imply the inverse of what he's saying, that when we, when we do grumble and complain, when we, do, when we do dispute with one another and we engage in fights and quarrels with one another, that we're doing the opposite, really. We're not being blameless. We're not being innocent. And we're not shining our light in the darkness. That The way that we shine the light for the world around us is to put the, put the kingdom of God first, put our mission first, to be unified about the things that matter. Again, this goes back, this is directly tied to what we talked about last week, that we're to live in purposeful, intentional unity with one another. That does not mean that we have to all agree on everything, that we all have to see everything the same way, This is not an intention to turn us into mindless Christian robots, but rather it's an intention to empower us as the people of God, as a mighty army who would infiltrate every corner of our community with the gospel of Jesus. And we do that by finding joy in what unites us together in mission and purpose. We live by faith. We prioritize the mission. That means that the mission is more important than me. And I actually want you, I want you to say that out loud with me in a minute because I want you to hear yourself say that. And I want you to understand how important that is. You're going to say the mission is more important than me. Are you ready? Here we go. We're going to say it together. The mission is more important than me. The point is, the mission is more important than me. The mission is more important than my wants and my desires. The mission is more important than me getting my way. Reaching people with the gospel of Jesus takes first priority. When we put God first, then we live for him first. And that means that the things of God matter more than the things that I want. The mission is more important than me. It's more important than you. It's more important than our wants and our desires. You know, there are a lot of things about our church that would look differently if it was all about what Michael wanted. You may think, well, you're the the pastor of the church. We do whatever you want. No, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't. There are a lot of things that we do that I wished we would do differently somehow. But you know what? It's not about me. The mission is more important than me. And frankly, if we did everything the way that I wanted then, then we wouldn't be very effective because I'll be the first to confess that my wants can get pretty twisted and pretty selfish real fast. It's important that all of us be reminded that the mission is bigger than you and I. The mission is bigger than me. It's bigger than us. And when we live from faith, when faith is at work in our lives, we prioritize the mission over our wants. COVID has given us lots of opportunity and There have been some ways in which we have shined, and there have been some ways that we've struggled in the midst of this. But COVID, if if anything, the, the last year has taught us to be flexible, has it not? If anything, the last year has taught us that even when nothing is the way that we want, we can still be about God's work. We can still be about his kingdom work. Even when even when there are lots of rules that we put up that may seem silly and artificial to you, even when we ask you to do things, or or maybe it's not even us, maybe it's others outside of us that are saying, hey, if you'll follow these restrictive steps or these things or whatever for the good of every right, and even when we do those things that we might not want to do, but if 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 we understand anything from this year, we we understand that sometimes, sometimes we we'll let what we want take a back seat for what's good for everybody else. The kingdom of God works the same way. We need to let our wants and our desires take a back seat to what drives, what advances the mission, what advances the gospel. And I I'm, I'm, praise God that we are a church that does this well. We're not perfect at it, okay? We're not. We're not perfect at it. But most of the time, most of the time when Conflict happens in our body and it does happen by the way. But most of the time when conflict arises in our body, it's over things that are pretty consequential. We don't get in arguments over things like, you know, the color of the carpet and and this and that and I mean I'm not saying that people don't have opinions about those things, but we're pretty good about let's let's be focused on things that matter. And when someone brings a complaint or something to me, a lot of times, really when you break it down it's something that's worth hearing because we think, yeah, that's something we ought to listen to. There's, there's, there's something to that. There's something behind that. Because we want to keep the mission first and let the mission drive us. The mission is more important than me. And when faith is at work in our lives, we prioritize that mission. And what happens when we do? Verse 15 says that we shine as lights in the world. And that's why the mission is more important than us. Because we don't want to do anything that would diminish that light somehow. I don't have to tell you, as Paul tells the church here, I don't have to tell you that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You don't need me to prove that to you. All you have to do is look to today's headlines and you see we live in a twisted, crooked generation. And yet, as followers of Jesus, as people living from a position of faith, we have the answer. We have the solution to all of the problem in the world. Do you realize that? Because the answer to all of the brokenness and the pain and the crookedness and the, and, and the twistedness that we see around us is the straight and narrow way of Jesus, isn't it? It's the gospel of Christ. And so we stay focused on the mission because the mission matters more than me. When We live from faith. That's true in our lives. Finally, we see that when faith is at work in our lives, we persevere through struggles. We persevere through struggles. When faith is at work in our lives, we work through hardship and difficulty. And so he writes here that we would hold fast, holding fast he's using that as uh, he, he's using that in this sense to say that you're doing this, right? He's using a participle here, holding fast. To the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run our labor in vain. Keep on doing, keep on running, keep on living, keep on walking from a place of faith. Keep on doing this, keep on holding fast to the word of life. We persevere, we keep on, we hold on, we hold fast to the word of life. So the day of Christ, in the day of Christ we might, our, our lives, our story, our testimony might bring honor and glory to Jesus. And then he goes on to write about it. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. Now that sounds kind of flowery and you know poetic. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about his martyrdom. He's saying, even if I'm to be killed for the faith, even though they may take my life for what I believe and what I teach, I want you keep going, hold fast to the word of faith because it's worth it. How powerful is it that Paul, writing from from his chains, writing from imprisonment, could say with conviction, keep living for Jesus because even if they take your life, it's worth it. That's the boldness that fills Paul. That's the boldness that he's calling the church of Philippi to And we understand because this is inspired by God's Holy Spirit to speak to us. That's the boldness that we're to live by as well. We would persevere, that we would keep going. We would hold fast when times are hard because ultimately it's worth it. The object of our faith, which is Jesus himself, is worth it. So likewise, he says, you should be glad and rejoice with me. No matter what may come, no matter what the future may hold, no matter what lie in store for us. If we will hold fast to our faith, if we will persevere through struggle and hardship and difficulty. If we will live from a place of faith, working out of what God has worked in us. Then we will bring honor and glory to Jesus and we will be able to rejoice and be glad. We should rejoice and be glad. And what a powerful thought what a what a really truly a, a convicting a convicting thought, because there are so many things that we encounter that are inconveniences, and we think of them as sufferings, right There are so many things that we come up against that we would qualify perhaps as our our struggles and our hardships, but in truth it's just what what we would commonly refer to today as first world problems, right? There are so many things that we would say, oh, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm on the struggle bus. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. When really, when we look at what real struggles are, what real sufferings are on a global scale, I mean, we don't suffer much for our faith. We have some inconveniences, perhaps. maybe a few, Maybe a few speed bumps. Maybe the occasional hurdle, but come on. It's pretty easy to be a Christian in Chickasha, America, isn't it? So what is there to stop us from living out this boldness and this conviction? Why don't, Why aren't we making a greater impact? Why aren't we doing more good? I would propose that it's because we aren't really doing points one and two that we, that we wrestle a little bit with point three because we don't really put God first every day and because we don't really prioritize our mission and our calling, then we struggle to persevere through struggles or, or we maybe, we get bogged down when it comes to persevering through struggles. If God will be first in your life, if you will really begin to live by that axiom that the mission is more important than me, then we'll breeze right through that last one. Because when God is first and we're focused on a mission, the struggles... They, they, they don't matter as much. I mean, yes, they're real. I don't mean to say that they aren't real. Yes, they're real. But we, but we work through them. We persevere through them because we stay focused on Christ, the object of our faith. And we're driven by his mission, reaching people with the gospel so that the hardship and the, and, and, and the inconveniences that come our way are just the path that we take to get there. May We work from faith. Because of what God has worked in us. In a minute we're going to move into a time of response today. And and I really hope you've been convicted today. I really hope that maybe God is speaking to you. and, And his Holy Spirit is working on your heart today. Because frankly I think we need to be convicted. Of all the ways that we just grow comfortable with the status quo. And we need to be reminded that. There is a mission that matters more than than we do. And that we are called to, literally, to give our lives for that mission and that calling. That, That we might advance the gospel, that people would know Christ and follow him because of us. We need to be driven by this mission. In our time of invitation today, if God is stirring your heart, if he's convicting you, I want to encourage you that, you can come and, and use the steps of this stage as an altar this morning where you might come before the Lord and just bow before him and say, God, I want to put you first. I don't do that every day the way I should. God, I want to put you first in my life. And you might even say, if, if you're brave enough to be this bold in praying this prayer, Lord, I pray that when I don't put you first, God, I pray that you would blow up my plans, get in my way, mess up what I'm after, that, that it might lead me back to where I need to be with you. God, through your Holy Spirit, would you weigh heaviness? Would you bring, would you bring trial my way if, if that trial might get me off the path of my desires and lead me back to your will and your good pleasure? I pray that God would prompt you to surrender all that you have to him. And if you're here today and You've never taken that first step that we talked about. You can't work from a position of faith because you've never taken that first step of faith to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. And I pray that you would come forward today during our invitation. I'll be here at the front and and I would love to pray with you and, 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 and walk with you through that prayer of surrender whereby you just surrender your life to Jesus. God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus, in faith. I ask you to come in my life, save me from my sin, forgive me of my sins, help me to live all my days for you. You would surrender your life to him that you might follow his will, his calling for your life, so that ultimately you might shine as light in the world and hold fast to that word of faith, so that Jesus would shine in you for others to see. Would you pray with me, Lord? We-